Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. Greg, welcome back. Thank you, Dave. Thank, the boiling thank you for inviting <laughs> inviting me to your podcast today, uh, Dave. I'm happy to be part of your podcast, Greg Hemmings. <laughs> um, you want me to start this out so people are going to be confused because they're going to go, what's going on? Usually Greg kicks things off. But, yeah. but we like yeah. to just you know keep things nimble. And um, But we got an exciting interview today. And um, we've got a bunch of prepared questions. Yes, that that that, that, that is the. Uh, Jared, our guest is laughing because he knows that's not true. Um, but we're going to get to that in a second. But Greg, I want to know one thing that's going really well in your life right now. Yeah, I th- I think I think everything like there's a flow happening right now, which is really like nice. on a personal side. Taking the sailboat out of the river sucked. That happened yesterday. Um, but it's that temperature, but it's that temperature. Yeah. I mean, ski season's coming up, yeah. uh, but business wise, things have been really good, you know, and I, I, I feel like I've been hiding the fact and I, I, I don't want to celebrate things going well when so many other people are not doing well and COVID is really disrupted. But well, let uh, me ask you a question on that. Cause I, I hear what you're saying, but if things weren't going well for you, would you be happy if, if I said things are going well for me? Heck yes. Right. So, you know, yeah, there you go. So, um, and the other thing, like truly doing this podcast has been really awesome because <clears throat> we were just talking, we've been doing it for probably seven years, every single week, yeah. hundreds of incredible entrepreneurs that we've spoken to and um, authors, usually astronauts. We're, we're, yeah, yeah. Usually we're discussing success and uh, today's guest is absolutely no exception to that. And uh, um, I, why don't we pull Ivan in right now? Because uh Dave, this is kind of your first time to to meet my new friend, um, uh, Ivan, uh, who is an entrepreneur that uh, came from the great country of Ukraine, uh, which I have uh, visited myself a year ago, which mm. feels very New Brunswick, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you're in New Brunswick. Um, but Ivan's been living here for a number of years, building companies and uh, exiting and uh, now in a very exciting new uh, SaaS space in the veterinarian yeah. uh, space. You were so. telling me about that. I can't wait to hear more. Ivan, welcome. Um, New Brunswick from the Ukraine. Explain. Thank you. I'm not. I'm not coming directly from Ukraine to New Brunswick. Yeah. Uh, A couple. Well, you could could pretend you were. Yeah. Oh, I. I I can. I can kick off my Ukrainian accent and start talking like I came yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not gonna do that. Yeah. No, no, no. I came like 18 years ago, so that was a long time ago. Um, But and I actually went to school on PI. Uh, it was short after I came. I went to uh, Atlantic Vet College uh, in UPI okay. and fell in love with uh, with Atlantic Canada and traveled uh, a lot here because it was new country for me and everybody was going on vacations aboard. And I was like, hey, I just moved here. So so I really explored New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, um, loved the area. And I guess it's 12 years later, came back here and uh, settled in New Brunswick. So, yeah. That's, yeah, uh, and, and we're we're very in. happy to be here. It's it's fantastic. Now you've you've gone through a lot, yeah, as far as building, uh, you know, building business here in Canada, and uh, 
selling to a Fortune 500 company, I believe. Um, let's just let's just get a little bit of your bio. Just share a little bit about your business journey, um, and then we'll get to what you're what you're working on now. All right. Well, I can I can give you sort of a brief story. Um, I'm a veterinarian by trade. Uh, did the first vet school in Ukraine. Uh, typical immigrant story. After coming to Canada, uh, I used that degree to uh, clean hospitals for eight and a half dollars an hour. Uh, but I wanted to get into the industry, so so that was a way to uh, to get into the industry and get to know it. And uh, vet profession in Ukraine is not very fancy profession. All my friends were lawyers and dentists, and uh, and I was this guy who sticks his hand up the cow's butt. Um, so when I moved to Canada, it turned out that it's actually a well-respected profession here. So I thought I'd, I'll give it a shot. Um, by luck, I think I got into Atlantic Vet College. It's, you know, vet industry is pretty competitive to get into. And then did the vet degree again. So I think I'm DVM square. Uh, and then, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And then when my dream to become a vet in Canada came true, I, um, I went to Russia for external experience in surgery. And I found out that they didn't have the diagnostic lab for animals there. So I left Canada and the whole profession and I went and built the diagnostic lab in Moscow. I was the first full service diagnostic lab and it was in 2007. And then a year later, uh, came back here. That was a so-so experience. It was, uh, was learning experience. Um, and then um, I sort of exited, but I more like ran away from my partners. And, uh, and then so your business that that it was a business, it wasn't like you were brought in as a consultant or an employee. Or something. Your business. Um, well, I was the only crazy guy that would go to Russia to build a business out of the, uh, the founding members. And so they were here and then they held the competencies of pathology uh, they knew how to run the diagnostic lab. And then I was the guy who would go and build it there. So the, the business model was to, uh, it's a huge, Moscow is a huge city. And even at that time, there was 16 million people, I think. Wow. Something, something crazy. Maybe I'm lying, but uh, it, was, it was a huge number. And they didn't have a single lab. So the, the market opportunity was crazy not to take it. Uh, there was a lot of learning because a lot of those tests that we brought in there, they didn't know about. So, so that's, uh, that was my first experience to bring something to market that doesn't know that they needed. So we had to educate them too, but, um, but yeah, so we built the first diagnostic lab, but the model was to, uh, because we did get funding from PI, the model was to uh, get the samples there um, and then process them there and then digitalize them and then send them to Canada to Atlantic Vet College and pathologists would read the samples and then send the results back. And the turnaround was three days compared to their three weeks in the human hospitals over there. So it's kind of disruptive in 2007, that was definitely disruptive, but um, it, was a, it was a good experience. Wow. So and it would be like a license model of some sort was the, the idea? Like they would? No, you sign up. So when you go to the vet, um, they would collect your blood. And sometimes you, uh, not your, but your pets, uh, hopefully. And, uh, and then they would send it to the, either run it in hospital or send it to the big lab. And uh, most of the labs in North America are owned by IDEX. It's actually a company that I exited two, two years ago with a different project. And, uh, and in Russia, they just didn't have a central lab. So when you bring your pet uh, to the hospital, they may run blood work locally with a questionable quality but if it's a tumor they didn't really have a process to diagnose it they were sending it to human hospital but that was not their core focus so it would 
be probably impossible to even diagnose precisely what it is. So therefore, chemotherapy was sort of sporadic. They didn't know what to use. And so we really brought pathology services to Russia. That's so, that was, and and that, that's huge. Even though you say it was a, a so-so experience, it, it's kind of neat to look at what the true impact culturally was uh, of that, that initiative, because now I'm sure it's, it's a norm now. And you were the first yeah. one to start that ball rolling. Okay. Yeah, I, I can't, I didn't invent it. That's the thing. I, I did a couple things after where it was true innovation, which, which really inspires me, which I think is something we're working on right now. But that was sort of, you took one model and took it to another geography where it was not there yet. So, I mean, it's, it's really cool. I don't undermine the experience and sort of a little pat on the back there, but it's not like, you know, I just came up with something new. It was just applying the existing business model to a different region. However, the entrepreneurs who listen to this podcast, they admire the, uh, your risk-taking and grit in saying, yep, I'll do it. I'll go to Russia. I'll go to Moscow and set this up. That's huge. You know, just even <laughs> though it already existed, uh, you know, to, to kind of have that, uh, that courage is, uh, is massive. But it's interesting how you distinguish it from um, what you would call true innovation. So that's, that tells me there's another part of the story I look forward to hearing. But before we go there, though, Ivan, um, just something that's curious to me is you said, you know, you talk about the Ukraine um, and, you know, how vets were viewed compared to probably North America and even yep. Russia being so far behind. Like what, so what culturally, like, what's the difference? Like, you know, in terms of, um, you know, just the whole veterinarian field, like what, like was an attitude around animals and like what, what, what makes North America so different or Canada? Maybe? Well, I, I think it's it's many, many factors. And, you know, I don't know if we'll be able to get into uh, all of them. But if you'll think about veterinary medicine, it's sort of a luxury uh, business. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really blossoms in the regions where there is uh, well-advanced well, uh, middle class. Uh, it's not where, you know, where people don't have anything to eat themselves. They rarely take care of their pets to the degree we do in North America or England or, you know, Australia. So that, that's really the difference. So uh, aside from that, veterinary medicine is never a government supported uh, business. Uh, so it is always out of pocket uh, and unless you have an insurance in place, but still even that insurance is out of pocket. So not like we're in Canada, although in emergency hospital in Canada, I remember it was in Barrie, someone took out their health card and put it on the table. And I said, no, that's not how that works. Uh, it truly happened. <laughs> so, uh, but, but that's the thing. And, and uh, th- there's that. So there's economical situation. And as they advance the, the 2007 and sort of a 10, uh, well, before the 2008, maybe maybe early 2000s in Russia were really, really uh, productive because after the 90s, there was a bunch of people with tons and tons of money that they stole from everybody else. And uh, eventually they bought all the boats they wanted and all the fur coats. And now they started to invest it into things like this, uh, but they didn't know what to invest into. So it was, it was a great opportunity for new businesses, new ideas to come in and they were easily funded um dangerously so because it was all through like russian mob there's stories i have to you know from that we, we go in there come on we gotta we gotta hear one <laughs> all right good. okay so um so i had to meet the payroll so i had the constructions guys that needed to uh they, they were they were building the lab 
because we started there. It wasn't just, you know, starting doing tests. We needed to build it. We needed to establish right. the workflows, everything. So I opened the bank account in the uh, personal division. And then I thought I'll open the business account uh, in the same bank. So when I'll get the money transferred, it was easier to transfer it to personal and transfer it to the business. So I have, they're sending me here, the partners are sending me $86,000 to pay for the construction for work and everything else. And I'm coming into the bank and I said, I have an account, personal account in your bank. Can you transfer it to my business account? And they said, well, the business branch is downtown and I'm on the outskirts of Moscow. And I said, that's fine. I don't care where they are, just transfer the money. And they said, no, no, no. We mean like you can't transfer from here to there. It's two different banks. And I said, okay, well, how do I do this? They're like, well, you know, we can give you cash. And I said, I'm not walking around Moscow with $86,000 in cash. And that's what we had to do. So, so basically, I'm taking this briefcase with a bunch of cash in Moscow. I'm taking a subway because very easily they can call from the bank and say, I have an idiot coming out with 86 grand here. So pick him up. So I'm taking a subway because there's most cops there. And I'm with the, with the guy who was helping me. He was like a, a last year student. We go to the bank, but you could exchange money, not only at the bank, but at these little exchange kiosks in, in Moscow. They were all over the place before. So I'm looking at the exchange rate and it's, it's higher than in the bank. And I'm realizing that I'll exchange it into rubles first on the street. Mm-hmm. Then I'll gain like 1500 bucks right there. And I'm like, well, I'm doing that. So I'm going downstairs into this lobby of this sketchy apartment building and they have bulletproof door with a little window and I'm buzzing this thing and I said, can I exchange $86,000? She said, just a minute, left for like two minutes, which was the longest two minutes in my life. And she said, sure. And then I'm starting to pass on the stacks of money into it without knowing what's going to happen. Anyway, the rubles were coming out. Now I have a duffel bag of these rubles and I went to the bank to deposit it. Anyway, that's just one of these things that I had to do. It did. (laughs) Yeah, you're cropping yourself. (laughs) We have, you know, in a way, you have so little appreciation for some of the things you would just take for granted at this stage of, of, you know, like in 2020. Yeah, uh, probably, you know, in Canada, like, like I even get frustrated when, you know, like I, like I, I try to do a check deposit with my phone and, it, you know, sometimes it won't read it properly or it says the wrong fund. And you're like, oh, my God, like this is like <laughs> back going across the city. Holy it's so cow. true, man. Yeah. So, oh, man. okay. So, uh, so your experience in Moscow ended, then you came back. Um, and when you came back, did you jump into the, uh, to vet integration service or was there another no 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 i went back to do what i wanted to do to work as an emergency veterinarian so i worked across canada and i worked as an um, i worked in emergencies and it usually takes about uh four uh, usually the shifts are like you work four and then you're resting six and that was the goal to meet the lifestyle and then uh, instead uh being a workaholic i worked four and then i took six more shifts doing a locum like relief work all over the place and it was a good gig because when you take relief work, you're switching the clinics, different culture. You don't like someone, you never come back and you choose where you want to work. Ideally, if you don't want to burn out like I did, uh, you want to take time off. But I was just feeding it with the, as much work as I could do. Uh, but it was, it was a good experience. So I did about 10 years of that emergency and relief work and worked as a vet until I came up with a smart flow idea. That's, that's the previous company that I sold. And uh, I, I realized that there is kind of a different, it's not really, I came up with an improvement for the industry. I was lazy and I was too lazy to go from uh, the doctors 
area where you write your notes to the treatment area and every time check on the temperature and the blood pressure and everything of the patients because they have these treatment sheets that are hanging on the cages. I don't know if you've been to the vet hospital or in the past times on your bed in the hospital, you would have this clipboard with doctor's orders. Mm -hmm. So that's what we had. And I thought if I could look at that sitting in my office without getting out, that would be awesome. So, so that was the in innovation. So uh, the iPads came around and I thought it would be cool if instead of clipboards, people could walk around with the iPad and do treatments on them. But I, at the same time, could see it in the central office and change, you know, treatment protocols and stuff like that. So we did that and that integrated with their payment system. And then as you do the injection, it will, it will charge for it. So that was sort of the thing that we came up with. And in six years, it spread to about 600 hospitals uh, globally. We had them in Australia, New Zealand, England, France, Russia. I did one in South Africa. That was another scary experience. Uh, so I got to travel all over the world doing still that thing, but then applying more sort of innovation and kind of combining the two, which was, um, it, was it was an awesome ride. And, uh, and we sold that two years ago to IDEX which is the right. biggest technology company wow. in that space. But you know what? And, it, and you, you, I mean, I, you say too lazy. I, I don't, you don't sound, you don't, you don't, you, you don't <laughs> think at all lazy, but isn't that, but you know, it's funny though, how, how many years would they've been doing this, putting these charts on the cages and yeah. just take someone who claims to be lazy, but just sees an opportunity. What? That's very cool. Like, so, and how much do you have a technology background or do you have? None. No, no. It was, again, it was luck. It was a combination of luck. And, okay, I wasn't lazy. I was frustrated. Someone said that. I don't remember who said that, that innovation comes from frustration. And I truly believe in that. Someone is frustrated with the process and they, they go to change it. Like, you mean frustration where it's like, this is inefficient. This is, this is waste yeah. of time. This doesn't make yeah. sense. This could be so much easier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. yeah. And and most people take it for granted. It's like, you know, it's this way because we used to do it this way. I, I went on analyzing the processes in, in multiple, multiple hospitals. And I literally was like time tracking things when it got to like a, a bit of a science, uh, the whole project and the software, and we gained efficiencies from the hospital. It was eventually it became a workflow optimization system. That's what we coined as a term. And we made the first workflow optimization system in the veterinary domain. I, I think so. But uh I can say that nobody else is here. So, and, uh, and, um, but yeah, so we, um, I lost my thought. You know, well, I actually going to add, I think you had, I think it's just, I know we're going to jump into the next thing in a second, yeah. but you're working on currently, but I was, I was thinking there's probably a really other big opportunity uh, for optimization. And that would be in the banking system in Russia. I think you could go back. <laughs> yeah. And I think you, you tell them how to transfer uh, money between, you know, I'm sure they do it now, but it could anyways, be a subset that, of um, Uber Eats. It could be Uber money. And then as they deliver someone, they can grab a bag of money and bring it from to well, downtown with armed guards and you know, <laughs> cars. Look at all, all the all ideas we come up with on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I know. But you, know, you know, what I was thinking about it is I think a lot of people get frustrated and maybe think things doesn't work but who's going to actually take the time and do what you did and you know actually create a business out of it and um there's a whole bunch probably of, of good questions there like you can tell we're we, we greg and i really appreciate when we hear about people doing creative things and and finding a way to monetize it and and then exit and all that kind of stuff um did you ha did you have a business background 
No, no. And I, and I felt it pretty quickly because there was two. So I came up with this idea and I was trying to find whether I can put Excel sheet on the iPad. And in those days you couldn't because there was no office on the iPads. And, and I was just looking for the way to digitalize this thing. And then again, by it's pure luck, a buddy of mine, a high school classmate actually from Ukraine, uh, reached out and we were chatting about something. And I said, I heard you, you have something to do with the computers. And I explained the concept to him. And he said, well, that's kind of cool. I can build that. And I was like, okay, well, why don't you come to Canada and we'll do that? And he said, yeah, it's going to take us about two weeks. Uh, he literally said that. Uh, so every feature for the next six years, whenever we came up with something, we were like, what's an estimate on that? Two weeks? Because <laughs> it was, I don't know why he said that. I think he just wanted to come and visit. But but he was a coder. So he was, it, it's, it was truly, a, you know, a startup. I think that it's, it's a cool way, you know, to, uh, to think about it. And remember, he came, we didn't have much money. I think that the first six grand that we pulled together, three him, three me, uh, we spent on the patent application, which failed. Uh, so that was the six grand that we had. And then, and then after that, uh, he started coding and we basically became like a couple. Uh, so I was married, but my wife at that time was in Russia. Uh, so we were two dudes living in my bachelor apartment in Etobicoke and he was coding and I was taking him to all the hospitals that I worked in as a prototype, annoying all the technicians and veterinarians with the, with this until they were frustrated. And, uh, but I was, I kept going to new hospitals with my gig of doing the relief work. So I was testing it on the market and, and eventually just starting, you know, getting traction, and uh, people liked it. And then, yeah, and then it grew to a real thing. Wow. It's, it's, it's a real, uh, it's a true entrepreneur's journey, what, what, what you're outlining. Uh, and it, it proves the point that you don't need to go to business school to do this. It's, it's, if you've got a little courage, a little bit of uh, risk taking uh, abilities uh, and a vision or a frustration, it's like, <laughs> like and you, I think, you know, I, I think I'll, uh, I maybe should correct you there that, that I realized that, that it would be nice if I did go to business school, because as soon as we started making it, and then I started doing marketing, and I had this mini fight with, with my partner, Pavel, and I said, okay, well, I know you're coding, but I'm a veterinarian, so who should be doing marketing? And he's like, well, I'm coding. And I said, well, okay, well, how do I know how to do marketing? And he said one thing that I can't forgive him for. He said, well, how do people learn things? And I said, they read the book. He's like, yeah, go read a book. <laughs> so I was like, thanks, friend. But, uh, but I ended up actually in the last two years when it was really hard and he burned out. On top of everything, I started my MBA. So I started because I realized I have a bunch of collected knowledge. I, you know, I read all Seth Godin's books, which I saw and heard on your podcast, which is awesome. He's like my... Uh, you know, I, I love, love him. That. Yeah, and I and I as well. Yeah. yeah, I took his mini MBA course, and uh, I I just love the guy, and I'm signed up to his blog and everything. But, um, but yeah, so so I ended up in, at the end of it, I realized that uh, I have the random knowledge from blog posts, books, and this and that, but it's not collective. So I ended up doing a business degree. I did an MBA in healthcare management that I just finished. Uh, but what was awesome in that is that it was the hardest thing I probably have done uh, during this. Um, I started waking up at 4 a.m. and studying from 4 to 8 and then starting to work. 
And uh, but every homework was imagine if you're a CEO of a startup or of a company, and then your your homework is to actually apply it to real life. So I converted last two years of the company, structured it so when we sold, it really paid uh, for for what we've done, and we structured it, and the merger almost felt like not they consumed us, but they consumed us with the processes transferred. That that type of acquisition where they bought us for the processes and equity hire. So it was really interesting. That, Which increases the value significantly, I would think. It did overnight. I it actually did because I knew the price that they were giving us the night before. Mm-hmm. And then in the morning it was 40% more than they expected to pay because of my conversation with the CEO. So it actually did. Right so, on. Yeah, yeah. You that's know, a you, huge lesson right you there. You hear a lot that a lot. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, 4Kids Flashback. 4Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Um, uh, I was going to, I was going to ask you a question about, um, Oh, I was just thinking about like, I really appreciate what you're saying about the MBA and the application. And like I run into, um, uh, you know, I do some workshops and stuff at, um, some of the universities and, and, you know, kids, younger people, like students, I should say, young adults will be asking about, you know, jumping into an MBA and I'm, I don't have an MBA, but I, my thing is, is like, I think it'd be a lot more valuable to get a little experience and then, you know, um, uh, you know, go through your MBA then versus coming out with an MBA when you're 25 years old and no, no practical experience. Like I, I just, to me, there's like, or to your point, actually having a, like a, a real living lab where you're actually applying what you're learning. Like the, the learning must've been exponential. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it's, I can compare it to my experience uh, going through the vet school second time, which I don't recommend anybody doing two vet schools. But, but if when I was going through it second time, not that I knew everything from Russia because they treat different animals and and we prepared for the nuclear war with the Americans. But the 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 learning that experience that I had is that I could now understand where this knowledge would apply in practice. And it's also when you're learning anatomy and it's a bunch of terms not related to anything, it's much harder than, than the surgery that you're learning and then you're applying it to practice. So during the whole second vet school, I worked in the emergency department overnight while studying. All the knowledge could be directly applied. And that was very helpful rather than just taking it out of the book. So you're absolutely right. I think that if you have the if the business to apply it to, then that would be interesting. But otherwise, I think it's... It's very disconnected. It's conceptual, it's conceptual yeah. and it's, yeah. you know, like, um, <clears throat> yeah, like I, I, I'm an executive coach. The coach I went, the course I went through is a university course, uh, a graduate course, but it's, it was taught by practitioners. And then, and the whole time they're, you're there, you have to be in the market practicing the skills. And to me, it was just massive because you can understand the theory, but you actually have to apply it. And it's like, for, for, for me, it was just, it was awesome. And not to say that it's not good to learn, 
and to, to, to understand things conceptually. But, um, but I can see why I, I just, anyway, it's just an interesting path to success there for sure. So now, now how the, how do we get back to New Brunswick? Like, how do we, how do we get here? <laughs> so, so we got offered that, you know, to be acquired by this company and uh, they're in the States and they're in Portland, Portland, Maine. <laughs> and uh, they wanted me because after they acquired the company, they put me in charge of their software division, which is again, another nice pat on the back because uh, instead of running one company as a startup, all of a sudden I'm running 14 products and the biggest software company in veterinary domain. So I was a GM of that. And, but they wanted me to move there. They wanted me to move to Portland. And I said, hell no, I'm not going to States uh, for many reasons. I love a lot of people in America, but there's more <laughs> reasons now not to be in there. And uh, and then I started looking just, I live in Brantford uh, in Ontario. And then I was looking for the closest point to Portland so I can drive there once a month. And it was either uh, Sherbrooke, I think in Quebec, mm-hmm. is pretty close to what St. John is to Portland. So, and I ended up finding this very nice place in uh, Drury Cove here in St. John. And then we moved here. So I've done that for nine months. And then I said, I can't do corporate. And I left the company. So, <laughs> okay. and, now, and now you're here and you fell in love with Drury Cove and everything. It, hey, do you know what I saying, Before we jump into that, but I was just thinking, I find St. John and Portland to be very similar oh, yeah, cities. Very similar cities. Yeah, I mean, sure. they're quite the same. Yeah, yeah. Like, like you know, the cobblestone and brick yeah, and all the that architecture, stuff. the yeah. the port. Uh, port. Yeah. Okay. I, sorry, I mean, you're saying you're saying something there. No, 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 no. I just said that. Yeah, I, I, I'm here. But then again, after we did that, I started this new gig that we're doing now. And last year, I was in Ukraine for uh, two weeks, starting new uh, team. Because uh, we do development in Ukraine, it's you know it, it makes sense economically. The talent is awesome, and I speak the language. And then I told my wife how awesome it is in Ukraine now because there was so much turmoil and change. And all of a sudden she says, "Oh, why don't we go to Ukraine and our son will learn a little bit of Russian or Ukrainian?" So we just packed our bags and left, leaving everything in New Brunswick. And then the COVID, and then we got stuck there for eleven months. So, nice. so. Interesting. When Drew first connected with us, remember Drew was yeah. one of our guests uh, a long time ago. Yeah. Um, we I did a video call with uh, Drew and one of your other collaborators in your house. Like I, I wasn't in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he lives in my house. Yeah. So that's probably when you were you were still in Ukraine at that point. Yeah, yeah. He's the CEO, Sean. He's the CEO of one of the companies that I I uh, consult and uh, yeah and in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's uh it, it's it's really neat. So now you're back and uh, let's let's talk about uh, about uh, VIS and what what you guys are building now. So uh, VI, I think you know a lot of classmates ask me, uh, and I see it a lot in the in the industry now. People don't hold these jobs for life. Uh, I think it's the generation. I think it's the way we consume information. There's so many factors. The way we you know, consume information through digital. I, I don't think we can hold a career for the entire life. And the veterinarian as in the past, you know, James Harriet and the books, and then the guy was a vet and died as a vet. And the lawyers and the you know doctors. I don't think that people will hold these professions anymore for longer than 10 years. It's just my sort of view on this. And, um, and a lot of people asked me, you know, how do you, how do you get out of the vet space? And I'm not saying that I'm getting out of the vet space, but I'm adding more pieces. And then I'm applying what I've learned in the past or made mistakes in the past and kind of trying to look forward what's new out there. So, so this current gig wasn't, um, it was sort of a product of that. I had now the skill of building a company and now finishing my, uh, you know, my thesis and dissertation on, on management of corporate or 
health organizations and then all the vet experience in the past. And then I realized that there's a, there's a consolidation that's happening in the, uh, in the industry, very rapid. So clinics are being acquired and big enterprise form with, you know, 50, hundred thousands of hospitals. And it seems like there is a gap of um, a, how they manage them using the data. And the second piece is that along the way through the acquisition of the hospital, people burn out. And our industry is known for a high suicide rate. We actually surpassed dentists uh, three years ago, I think. And, um, and it's a huge problem without it. But then when people are going through uh, acquisition of the hospital, uh, they leave the practice much faster than they would if they, that was their practice. And I kind of started thinking, can I connect the business with veterinarians' experience? Because I admire people that do veterinary medicine. I did my part and I, and I like animals. I just don't want to do the vet thing anymore, but I would love to help people that do that. And so I'm trying to combine in this new startup, the application of large-scale management methodologies to these consolidators to improve veterinary experience um, as they work as a veterinarian. That's sort of and I love, I love how the, the niche uh, demographic or, or target market is consolidators because there's, there's probably not a ton of them out there, right? No, and that's, that was also a learning experience because if you try to sell to the vets in North America, you'll have to sell to about 32,000 vets. If you want to sell to consolidators, you need to convince 60 of them. Uh, you also can only, you know, screw up only 60 times and you have no market. So you really need to... But so to- you, you've got a very high touch opportunity to really build relationships with your potential buyers because there's only 60 of them. Yeah. Uh, and so to me, that's really exciting. I think that's, that's, it's, uh, it's not easy, but in a way it's, uh, you, you can grasp it. You can grasp trying to get 60 clients, you know, if the market is 60, 60 wide, uh, that's really cool. And how's it going so far? How, how's it being received? Well, because we're doing it in a sort of an interesting way where we're, we're funding it from the proceeds from the previous engagements. We're also funding it through consultancy. So basically, it's a consultancy on, on the executive level. Um, and uh, we're, we've been able to almost break even. And we have 20 people now and robust development team in Ukraine and we were almost breaking even this year just on consultancy. But along the way, that is also our customer discovery process. So through this consultancy, applying our knowledge, we then get the feedback and lock it into software. So eventually, um, we kind of want to coin ourselves as maybe a McKenzie of veterinary industry, but with a, with a product. Because McKenzie's product is a PowerPoint presentation. Uh, hopefully none of them are listening to this, but, uh, and we're hoping that aside from sort of gap analysis and instructions, we can say, and this is how you apply them. And here's the muscle memory in a form of a SaaS software. Nice. Incredible. And then, and have, have you, have you had the place where you've piloted this? Is this like the software itself? Are you, are you, is it in the market? Are people using it? No, so the MVP will be coming out this, uh, this January. Uh, but uh, we went, uh, I've done sort of, three, four in engagements where I had to educate the market and just like starting with Russia. And I think that the big portion here is what we're proposing is uh, will require a lot of learning. So we're starting actually with an interesting go-to-market strategy. We're building a university uh, or a college, if you will. We call it an internal university. I don't know what the name is going to be. On the blueprint on how to build consolidation in any domain. 
We're actually taking on the task of creating the blueprint and the textbook on how to build consolidation. And then we're, we've built a maturity model where you can grade your business where you're at. And then we would do a gap analysis of how to get to the next level. And then from that, you arrive to sort of our software as a solution to it. But it's a, instead of building the software and then having an onboarding process, which some people go through, some not, we're going with the route of, of training on how to build the business. And then the software becomes sort of this tool that you use just to do it, which becomes sort of, you have to have it instead of the other way around. Hmm. And, and like, and where did you come up with the model? Like, where did that, was that just something, if you, is it, do you see it somewhere else or is that um, just through learning? So yeah, it's, it's a collective of multiple things. I don't know if you guys heard about safe scaled agile uh, framework. It's in the no. large tech industry. They use that. So I've been sort of, you know, I've been uh, fascinated with that for a while. So I went through training in, in safe and then I did a bunch of Kanban training and they had a maturity model. So, and, and I met a lot of consultants that, uh, that also do sort of transformations of the company or companies. And it was interesting how they applied different methodologies to transform a certain business. So what I've done, I've, I collected sort of a lot of experience that I've had through that, but to one niche. And it's, I think it will become easier because more or less you can template it instead of every time I apply transformation to a different uh, domain. So, so I think we can lock it also into a methodology that is quite typical. It's not every time different experience. And that's why we think that we can create a blueprint. So, it, so it's a collective of sort of stuff from MBA stuff from IDEX where I worked. And it was a massive organization, seven and a half thousand people where they really needed transformation. Um, so it's kind of seeing good and bad and the ways to transform and then applying it back to where I'm comfortable, but we want to go beyond. Uh, vet is for us as a sort of test bed and they will want to go into dentistry physiotherapy and others because consolidating businesses is almost the same across the problems are the same it's just that the terms the roles and the data uh names are different but the the framework is the same all right i think that's that is your scaling opportunity it's like you already understand the vet space so why not test it out there and and get a, a handle on it and then like i said i'm, I'm thinking about uh Dr. Eric Klein, one of our, our, our oh, friends yeah. here who has a chiropractic uh, company, and he's really going hard on franchising, which is, it's not necessarily consolidation, but it's very similar in the need to make sure everybody's operating on the same same page and data is being shared uh, appropriately with the similar business model. They do the same thing. They, they, they um, optimize the back end and then the front end is just, you show up to work, do your thing. And then the back end is optimized through franchise. Yeah, similar mm-hmm. model. But, and, well, and I think it appreciates that most people getting into dentistry or, uh, you know, if they're a veterinarian or whatever, you know, are usually excited about the practice, but not necessarily have knowledge of how to grow the business. And Well, that, that's the problem because you have an amazing vet that wants to become a business owner and then you lose an amazing vet and you get a really terrible business owner. That's, that's the outcome. So... Mm-hmm. You see, and it's so interesting though, but that seems like such a flawed model that applies to the kind of that helping professions, if you will, like in like, cause he, uh, Eric was saying about it was chiropractic uh, schools and, you know, I'm not teaching it, right? Yeah, well, they're teaching the art of how to be the practitioner, but you know, and then they're going, then you, then you flail in the marketplace, right? Because, you know, you, you make bad, I mean, we learn that, you know, kind of no, no real little, no, there's no kind of map to right. your film, you know, film uh, making company or a coaching company. And it's, it's challenging. Any, yep. you could, you could take 
take that learning yet, you know, we have collectively had over like the last 15 years, um, man, you'd be so much farther ahead. Mm, so that's 100%. cool. That's cool. Ivan. So what, do you, what are you enjoying most about this, um, you know, experience, you know, I guess like this is your third, this is your third company. Is that right? Yep. Uh, third. Yeah. Third company. Um, I'm enjoying, um, my newborn daughter and fishing in St. John. And I think this is the first time where I can parse and do both. And, uh, I've burned out too many times and I had to struggle through it couple. So I think that that's what I'm enjoying the most out of this work. Amen. Amen. <laughs> We're both dads to relatively new humans as well. Yes. And, uh, it's, Congrats, uh, yeah, and it's, you know what, we've talked about this before COVID, uh, one of the benefits is I'm not on airplanes every couple of weeks like I used to be, you know, so yeah. I'm around. It's, it's been nice. <laughs> yeah. No, you don't have to cross the border anymore to go down to Maine. So that was, yeah, yeah no, it's uh, well, it's our second child and, and I've been around and I'm always joked and it, it takes the pandemic to keep me at home with my family. So. <laughs> I think that's a lot of people. And then, and I think there's a lot of appreciation for it too. Yeah. You know, everybody, but the whole world gets it. No, there's no pressure yeah. from, from external source. Well, Ivan, next time we get together, I hope the three of us in a, uh, in a COVID friendly way can, uh, get together socially uh now that we're all in the same city and, yeah. we're in the bubble we can get socially so uh, right. it's, uh i'm not visiting it's funny because you probably you have guests from all over the world and the closest one to you is doing a remote so i apologize guys it's just so back to back but i think we should connect <laughs> thanks for sharing your story it's inspiring ivan and uh we're excited to get to, to get to know you more and uh glad you made saint john your home Great. Thank you. And next time, next time I want to ask you about the New Brunswick experience, like the New Brunswick entrepreneurial experience. Cause I'm really, I'm curious to, to hear, you know, your perspective. So that, that's maybe a second. Well, I'm looking forward to expand here and meet more people. Cause I do want to promote that here. I mean, there's so much opportunity and there's a lot, there's not very many people that want to work too much, but there's a lot of people that want to come here and work a lot. So that's sort of my next vision. I think he just, that was a loaded st- uh, statement. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. exciting yeah. what you just said right that's there. a teaser that's, that's, that's good yeah awesome man well thank you so much ivan thank you take care yeah thanks <laughs> nice meeting you thanks for checking out this episode of boiling point remember to rate and subscribe to us on itunes and follow us on twitter at boiling point pod to see more from dave vale check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on twitter at dave underscore vale And to catch up with Greg, visit HemmingsHouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. Thanks for listening. And remember, keep that pot boiling. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.